The passages that uh, Jen read this morning so wonderfully um, are really, I think, one of the greatest passages that we can find um, in the Old Testament, maybe potentially in actually the whole Bible, depending on um, who you're talking to, of the love of God. Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 11 are the the passages for this morning. Um, If you are unfamiliar with the book of Hosea, uh, it it starts out with a really incredible story of a prophet of God named Hosea, who God calls to take um, a wife to himself. The problem was that this wife would be unfaithful to him, and um, God knew that she would be, but he called Hosea to take her as his wife anyway. And he does. But she strays from him. Um, She commits adultery. She searches after other lovers. She even goes into prostitution. And the whole time, God tells Hosea to go and to pursue his wife, to even buy her back out of prostitution to be his wife. Um, something that no self-respecting Israelite man back in those days would have done. But God told Hosea to do this as a living illustration of God's relationship with his people, with Israel, and um, how adulterous the people of Israel had been, and how basically God had been in the worst marriage you could be in for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But through the life of Hosea, It illustrated his love for his people in Hosea's pursuit of Gomer, his wife. In Hosea chapter 11, God goes into another illustration, another analogy, and that's of that of a father and his son to further describe his love for the people of Israel, his love for his people. And what, what was happening here, what's described here in, in verse 1, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. What this is talking about was the people of Israel, um, they went down into Egypt Uh, through Jacob and his sons, his family moved down to Egypt during a time of famine. And they multiplied greatly. And they became like a million people strong while they were in Egypt. But when they were there, eventually Pharaoh put them into hard labor and turned them into slaves. And he made their lives really difficult He made their lives unbearable, going to the point of even killing firstborn, killing male children in Israel because he was afraid of how strong the Israelites were becoming. It was a form of uh, population control through infanticide. So Pharaoh began to kill even the male children of the Israelites. Life was so, so difficult. And after about 400 years, the Israelites began to cry out in their misery to God to save them, to rescue them, to deliver them. 
and God heard them. And that's what's happening here. When Israel was a child, I loved them, and out of Egypt, I called my son. Verse 1 is the story of a God going into Egypt to rescue his people, to rescue his son, Israel, and bring them out of slavery, out of bondage. And things got intense. He called Moses and told Moses to go and to deliver his people. And Moses went to Pharaoh and said, the God says, let my people go. In fact, it says this in Exodus 4, God said to Moses, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Things got intense. God swooped in and said, let my child go. If you do not let my child go, if you hold him hostage, if you keep him your slave, I will kill your firstborn son. And what happened? That's exactly what happened. Pharaoh hardened his heart, would not listen, and God sent plague after plague after plague, 10 plagues in all, to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Each time, Pharaoh hardened his heart until the 10th time when God killed the firstborn sons in every household in Egypt. And all the Egyptians with a firstborn son in their homes died. But the Israelites, all those who put the blood of the lamb around their doors during that Passover, none of their sons were killed. And finally, Pharaoh said, go, get out of here. And God brought the people out after these 10 plagues on Egypt. God, in rescuing his son, also parted the Red Sea so that they could cross through. God, in rescuing his son, when Pharaoh changed his mind and began to chase the Israelites with an army, God came in a pillar of fire and separated the Israelites from the chasing Egyptian army. And when the Israelites crossed through the Red Sea and they came to the other side, God pulled the waters of the Red Sea back and drowned Pharaoh's army. God came and he rescued his son. He brought him out of slavery. However, after he did this, it says, unfortunately, the more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the bales and burning offerings to the idols. Unfortunately, when God called the Israelites out of Egypt, he called his son out and, and, and he made them his people at Mount Sinai. He gave them his covenant and he said, will you be my people and I will be your God? And they said, yes, we will be your people and you will be our God. And they entered into this relationship and it was, it was awesome. And the people were thrilled and they were excited to, to serve God and to follow him and to be God's people. But then it didn't take long after that where they began to walk away from God. And they began to worship the Baals, the Asherahs, the Chemoshes, 
the other gods of the land of Canaan. And, and it seems like the more, the more God called, the more they went away. And God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to his people to call them back to him to say, hey, I am your father. I am your God. Come back to me. God sent prophets to the northern kingdom of Israel for 500 years. Prophet after prophet after prophet saying, come back, come back, come back. Yet they refused. They had some, some glimmers of obedience, maybe a good king here or there, but it didn't last long. And eventually their idolatry got worse and worse and worse. And then after the northern kingdom fell, God continued to send prophets for another 150 years to the southern kingdom of Judah. Yet they would not listen. He sent prophets to them saying, I am your God, not Baal, not Chemosh, not Asherah. Come back to me. I, I, I can't imagine, you know, what it would be like if, if my son, Noah, or my daughter, Audrey, were one day to say, Dad, you're not my dad. I don't know you. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine if one day... God forbid Noah got caught up in the, in the wrong crowd and, and ended up being a gang member or something like that with his scrappy personality and his good looks and his snarkiness and his humor and, you know, something like that. He got recruited. And, 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 and I, I went to my son again and again and again. I said, son, I'm your father. Come back to me. Get out of that life. Stop, stop doing this. They don't care about you. And he said, no, you're not my father. This gang leader, he cares about me. He is looking out for me. He's got my back. And I would say, no, no, he doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. He just wants to use you. I'm your father. Come back to me. Come back to me, Noah. And that's what God was doing for 650 years to his people, speaking through the prophets again and again, come back. Those are not your gods. Those gods don't love you. I love you. But they would not listen. And then in, in verse 3, listen to the heart of God here as he reminisces here. In verse 3, it says, God says, Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. Listen to this language. God is, is like, he's like a parent reminiscing about the early days when he, when he taught his child to first walk. It's, it's this imagery that every parent knows. If you have kids, you know, a year old or older, uh, of those early days, you know, when your, your baby was able to suddenly stand, right? Kind of like, like this, kind of standing, but starting to be able to stand. And then you're like, oh my gosh, honey. Oh my gosh, he's standing. And then you're like, come on, come to daddy. And then the baby's like, oh, you know, like a drunken sailor, 
like a foot at a time, like falls down. You're like, oh, it's okay. Come on, get up again. Get up again. You can do it. You can do it. And then the baby starts walking a step and then another step. And you're so excited. You're like, oh, my gosh, he's walking. He's a genius. He's a genius. He's only three years old and he's walking. He's a genius. Oh, my gosh. Well, they're supposed to walk earlier than that. I'm kidding. (laughs) Noah walked earlier than three and so did Audrey, okay? Don't get the wrong idea. But everybody, you know, parents, we all remember those days. And, uh, you know, all I need to do as a parent is open up my, uh, my digital pictures of my kids when they were young, now that they're 12 and 10. And I look at those pictures of them when they were babies, and I just reminisce, and there's this, this like, love and sometimes sadness about that time. Just such precious times. And here, this is what God is saying. In the midst of their waywardness and their sin, he remembers, I was the one who taught you to walk. I held you up. I took you up by your arms. You know, I I think we're, you know, if you've ever struggled with that idea that, you know, the, the God of the Old Testament, God the Father, When you think about him, you picture this angry dude, right, with the long mustache and the white hair and stuff, and he looks real angry, and he's like the buffest old guy you've ever seen. He's like a grandpa, but he's like ripped, and he's got like a lightning bolt in his hand, just ready to just strike you the moment you sin or mess up. Some of us had that thought that God is this, God of the Old Testament, God the Father is this angry God, but Jesus is oh, the God of the New Testament. He's just so loving and warm. And I think this is why every picture of him, so many of them, right, he's always holding a lamb, right? Like, you just Google it, like, Jesus and a lamb. It's like everybody has painted Jesus holding a lamb. It's like, you know, if you're a Christian painter, you want to paint Jesus, you paint them with a lamb. I love this one. I really like this one here, right, with the stars in the background and stuff like that. That's how, that's how we picture Jesus, you know? And it's like, if I were like God's PR agent, Old Testament God, I'd be like, you know, let's get a few shots of you holding a lamb, right? I think that would do wonders for you rather than just the sacrificing of them and the killing of them. Just a few of you holding a lamb, and I think it would do wonders. But when we see God's heart in Hosea, it, it, it really does affirm that the God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are the same in their character, their temperament, who they are. The early church fathers worked really hard to make this clear, that God is one. He is of one essence, the same essence in three different persons, the mystery of the Trinity. This is why Jesus said, When Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? We see God's tender heart for his people. And then in verse 4, 
he changes the illustration a little bit to that of an owner with a, an animal, with a beast of burden, with a draft animal like an oxen or, or a donkey. It says, I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. Is this not like what Jesus said when he said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is who our God is, our Father. We see the incredible tenderness in his heart for his people. Yet in spite of all this, they rejected God. They continued to turn to these false idols and to worship false idols and to um, just proliferate wickedness and oppression and abuse within Israel. And it was breaking God's heart. And because of this, because of the way that they were living, God said, they shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. We see here that after hundreds of years, hundreds of years of God sending his prophets to his people again and again and again, saying, repent, turn back to me. I am your God. I am the one who loves you. I am your father. I am the one who saved you. Remember the covenant that we have made. And yet the people would not. God brought his judgment upon them. And in the year 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire conquered Samaria, conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, and destroyed it and deported the people. And 150 years later, in 586 BC, the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem tore down its walls, and took its people into captivity as well. The judgment of God came upon his people, the divided kingdoms of Israel, because of their hundreds of years of wickedness and, repent and rebellion against God. And when we look at this picture and when we look at what happened it would seem like all hope is lost. That's it. The northern kingdom destroyed. The people deported. And the southern kingdom with it. 150 years later, the people of Israel 
destroyed and broken. It would seem like it's the end of the people of God. But, but there's more. And in verses 8 to 9 here of Hosea, chapter 11, these are a couple of the most poignant passages in the Bible. A true glimpse into the heart of God that flips the idea of the angry Old Testament God on its head. Listen to God here in verse 8. How? How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Adma and Zeboim were two cities of the plains by Sodom and Gomorrah. They were cities that were completely destroyed along with Sodom and Gomorrah. And God is saying, how can I do that to you, my people? How can I completely destroy you? How can I completely wipe you? I can't do it. I've judged you, Ephraim. I've judged you, Judah. But I cannot give you up. I cannot completely hand you over. My heart recoils within me. The Hebrew word, the sense of the word recoil is overturned. It got flipped over. This heart that was, was filled with anger at, at the sin of Israel, a righteous anger at their, their rebellion for hundreds of years, it got overturned within God by his compassion that grew warm and his tenderness. And he says, I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. You see this, this wrestling within the heart of God. You see the emotion this God who loves his people, who remembers when they were just an infant, just a, a new nation out of Egypt, how he loved them, but how they turned from him, though he taught them to walk, and how he repeatedly went after him, them, but they walked away again and again and again, and how he brought judgment. But he held back his hand because he could not completely destroy them because of his compassion, because of his tenderness, you see this churning within the heart of God. And then God says, Why? For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Now, if I were Hosea, I, I, I would be wondering about this. <laughs> Maybe as I'm prophesying, as I'm speaking God's words to his people, I would be wondering about this. God, what do you mean? 
For I am God and not a man. Of course. Amen. You are God and not a man. You are so far above. You are perfect in all of your ways. He says he is the holy one in our midst. Yes, he is completely holy and without sin. And he says, and I will not come in wrath. Now, the thing about this that is confusing, that doesn't seem to make sense, is that if God is indeed the holy one, What that means is the holiness of God, because of who he is, because he is so pure, he cannot stand sin. Sin cannot come into his presence. He cannot abide the presence of sin. So actually, because he is the Holy One, he should come in wrath. He should destroy. He should completely wipe out the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, that is absolutely what he should do because that is what they deserve. And in fact, that is what we deserve. That is what humanity deserves. Every single one of us, because of our sin and our separation from God, because of our rebellion, we deserve nothing from God except eternal punishment, hell, separation from God, rightly and justly deserved. We deserve that because he is God and not a man and because he is the Holy One. And if he comes into our midst, he should come in wrath. And I wonder if Hosea wondered, how does this work, God? How do you spare your people? I see your love, your compassion for your children but you are a holy God and you, you, you demand righteousness. You, you, you are a God of holiness and sin cannot stand in your sight. Even one speck of sin, even one mistake of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And humanity is eternally doomed and separated from you. God, how does this work? How can a holy God show compassion and mercy and love to us. And that's where the passage from Matthew comes in. That's where Christmas comes in. Let me read this again now. When they had departed, being Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Oh, they had departed being the, the wise men, excuse me. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Herod, the king of the Jews, wanted to kill Jesus because he was a threat to his throne. And he, Joseph, rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. This was to fulfill Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Out of Egypt, I called my son. How does a holy God 
show compassion to a stubborn, sinful, obstinate people. How can holiness do that and not completely annihilate humanity, people who are sinful? What God did was he called another son into the world. His son, Jesus. What God did was at Christmas, he sent his perfect son in order to redeem us, his wayward son. That was how he did it. Christmas is about the coming of the Son of God, born in a manger, born in Bethlehem, who came to live the life that we were supposed to live, and he died the death that we were supposed to die so that we could be called children of God. Jesus lived this perfect life. As he said to his disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Where we were wayward, the son walked in perfect obedience. In order to make us his children, God sent his son, his child, into the world, born in human flesh to die upon a cross. And this is why John wrote, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Brothers and sisters, this is the Christmas story. That child that was born in the manger, I know it's easy, oh, Jesus, baby Jesus, born in the manger, that's cool. Maybe you got a nativity scene at home. Maybe you have a photo of a picture of it, something like that. But when we look at that child, that son of God, we need to know that that son, that child of God coming into the world is how we have become children of God. Wayward children redeemed by the faithful Son of God. And this is something that we need to tell the world. As verse 10 says in Hosea, they shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion, like the lion of Judah. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west they shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the roar of the gospel that says God has given his son so that we could become sons and daughters of God. My hope, my heart from this message, 
from Hosea chapter 11 is that as we see a glimpse into the incredible heart of God and into his love for us, is that there would be a desire within your heart to know this God, to know this God who loves you so deeply. Maybe your relationship with him has been one of more legalism or more of dry obedience. But brothers and sisters, this is God's heart. This is how much he loves you. And in fact, there is no one who loves you like God loves you. And my prayer is that through this message and through this Christmas season, that you would desire to know this God more, to trust him more, to walk with him more, to walk more closely with him, because this is his heart. And this is who he is. He is our Father who loves us so deeply.